This week on Medical Minefield, Christopher Snowden. We had the evidence in 2016 when George Osborne announced the sugar tax that these things don't work. The overall effect has been not even negligible. I mean, it's, it's been zero. It has had no positive effect whatsoever. And Hattie Burt from Action on Sugar. It's a shame, but it's not a surprise that we're not seeing those impacts. But it's not a reason to stop the policy because it's one of the few policies that has really had an impact. Welcome to Medical Minefield, the podcast where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Eve Simmons. I'm a health journalist, which means I spend my life asking tough questions to top experts who really know their stuff, so you don't have to. This week we're asking, is it finally time we scrapped the sugar tax? We'd like to know what you think about this subject and lots of other subjects. If you have a question or a comment for Medical Minefield, please get in touch on Twitter at MedMinefield. Now, the sugar tax has to be one of the most hotly debated anti-obesity policies that the Tory government has brought in. It's been in force since April 2018. And Liz Truss, back in September, said that she wanted to scrap it. The tax is officially known as the soft drinks levy. It means that companies have had to reformulate their fizzy drinks to make them less sugary or they um, have to pay more tax. Now, although it is clear that the sugar tax has reduced the amount of sugar that most people who commonly drink fizzy drinks are drinking, it's not clear what effect it's had on obesity. So in this week's Mail on Sunday, our star reporter, Joe McFarlane, is looking into whether claims that the sugar tax has actually been quite pointless stand to reason. Interestingly, at the beginning of this month, uh, one country who was initially behind the tax, Israel, has decided to scrap it. And uh, we're wondering whether that means that other countries are going to follow the same suit. So joining us now is our star reporter, Joe McFarlane, who is this week's sugar tax expert. Joe, why do you think that there's been so much criticism of the sugar tax? I think it started almost before the sugar tax was introduced in the first place. There's always been a sort of pushback against any intervention that's seen as nanny state. So if the government tries to control any of our day-to-day choices, that's always going to be a bit unpopular. So that's been where it all started, I think. And today, I suppose people are waiting for it to have some kind of effect and really I don't think we can yet say that there is anything discernibly that's different, apart from in one area alone, which is that there has been quite a significant reduction in the amount of sugar we consume from fizzy drinks. But what does that actually mean, though? What's the what's the impact of that? Again, the jury's probably out. I mean, for a long time, fat was always seen as the sort of sinful food in our diets, wasn't it? And uh, gradually the science has changed to look at sugar. Sugar has been associated with things like type 2 diabetes, heart disease, lots of cancers. So the aim is to try and reduce the amount of sugar that we consume, therefore encouraging us to lose a bit of weight and hopefully staving off these kinds of diseases. And fizzy drinks were seen as one way of doing that. If they could reduce the amount of fizzy drinks we drank or the amount of sugar contained in fizzy drinks, then that would be one kind of easy way of getting us to reduce our sugar content without really having to think about it too much. And is that from what I understand, it's not that there's something awful about sugar per se, but it's just that it's quite 
easy to consume a lot of it, especially when it's liquid. Yeah, absolutely. It is very easy. And and I mean, there are, there are some theories that the more sugar you consume, the more likely you are to reach for more kind of carby, sugary foods after that point as well. So, but the jury, again, the scientific jury is still a bit out on this. We don't really know why reaching for sugar makes us want more sugar. Is it just about sugar being addictive? Is it about cravings? Or is there something far more fundamental that's going on inside the body that makes us want more of it we just don't know and in your investigations why is it or have you come across any ideas as to you know the explanation for the fact that this sugar tax doesn't really seem to be having the effect that it was designed to do which I guess ultimately is to reduce obesity right yeah I mean I think partly it's just a little bit too soon I think some of the earliest sugar taxes across the world and there's about 54 countries that have introduced something like this were sort of less than 10 years ago I think one of the earliest was um, was about 2014 and we just haven't got enough data to say that it's making that much of a difference in part. The other part of this is, of course, that fizzy drinks is not the only source of sugar in our diets. Um, Some people put the estimate at about 2% of our sugar intake. So the other 98% is from other foodstuffs, which are not necessarily subject to these kinds of taxes and incentives, as you might want to call them. So there's a lot more work to be done if we want to reduce our overall sugar consumption. And if you look at some of the data that the government's own analysis has produced about the success of um, not just the sugar tax, but voluntary measures in the rest of the industry to try and reduce the amount of sugar content in products. What it shows is that, yes, there's a huge drop in the amount of sugar we're getting from fizzy drinks, but that's overweighed by a huge increase in the amount of sugar we're consuming from other products and particularly products that contain hidden sugar like sauces, for example, your pasta sauce, your curry sauce, ketchup, you know, that sort of thing. And things like yogurts and cakes and muffins and biscuits, all the things that we like to eat. Is there any evidence, Joe, that the sugar tax could perhaps even do more harm than good? I know that there's a theory that people replace what they're missing out on in terms of the excess sugar with with other calorific things like fat, for instance. Yeah, and there was a good randomised controlled trial on this back in uh, 2016, and they gave half of the participants a very low sugar diet. So that included low sugar drinks, for example. And then the other half had a normal amount of sugar in their diet. And what they found was that after eight weeks, the group that were consuming low sugar products were also consuming more fat and more protein. That does suggest that we seek those calories elsewhere. And if that's in fat, then it's not exactly going to be particularly good for us either. The other thing is that if we consume less sugar in some products, are we looking for those sugar in other products that are not subject to the tax? That's also a possibility too. The evidence is a bit mixed on that, but it seems that has happened in some places. If we look at the example of, for example, Norway, where they had a sugar tax on not just fizzy drinks, but things like confectionery and sweets. And because that put the prices up, people were travelling across the border to buy in Sweden where it was cheaper. You know, that that sort of <laughs> that goes against the principles of it. There's also a bit of a debate over the effect that artificial sweeteners could have, because we're now consuming drinks that have less sugar content, but that sugar content has been replaced by other flavourings to make it taste good and also things like artificial sweeteners. Now, the evidence on artificial sweeteners, as we know, has been quite mixed over the years, but some people say that when you consume something that tastes sweet, your body 
releases insulin, regardless of whether it's sugar or whether it's artificial sweeteners. So you may end up with some kind of type 2 diabetes still as a result from artificial sweeteners. And you may also reach for other sugary products because that's what your body is actually craving. And if that craving is not met by the sugar, you reach for something else. What was interesting to me, Joe, was this study that was published at the end of last month that seemed to suggest that the sugar tax had prevented 5,000 cases of obesity in year six girls every year. I believe this was an analysis done by some experts at the University of Cambridge. I mean, that seems like a pretty striking statistic. It does, but it's a little bit deceptive. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good study because it does show potentially some effect, but what those figures actually showed was it was a bit of an estimate. So they are basically saying that if we hadn't had the sugar tax, they think that obesity levels would be higher than they are now. And that's where that 5,000 figure comes from. Now, we, we've really got no way of knowing whether obesity levels in children would have risen by that amount. We don't know. That's what they seem to have come to the conclusion of in the study. But again, we just don't really know. And also, it's, it's a bit weird, isn't it? You wouldn't expect girls to be affected and not boys, would you? I mean, when it's boys who are consuming the most, the bigger volume of these kind of drinks as well. Sort of makes you think something else is going on there, perhaps. Yeah, or I think one of the scientists commenting on the study and um, when it was first published last month suggested that maybe all of this was just, you know, statistical noise and that maybe we couldn't take much from it at all. Because we know all of this time period covers the pandemic as well, when kids were also eating a lot more in terms of unprocessed foods, more drinks and sweets and fizzy stuff. All of that stuff is going to have had an impact as well. And we're still kind of unpicking, you know, the effect that that's actually had on their weight and their overall health. So it's a difficult picture overall. I mean, great if it has had an effect on obesity. But if it is true, then it would, I think, be one of the only studies in the world based on any sugar tax to have shown a drop in obesity. I don't think any other country has been able to show that yet. Well, Joe, thank you very much for all your hard work on this topic. I know you've been very dedicated this <laughs> You're week. Welcome. And thank you for spending some time explaining to us. No problem at all. Well, it seems from what Joe is saying that there isn't actually any concrete evidence to prove that the sugar tax has done anything beneficial. But who knows? N next, we're actually going to speak to somebody who has strong views on this and thinks that the sugar tax should be scrapped. On the line now is Christopher Snowden, who is an economist specialising in nutrition and health. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I know that you feel quite strongly that the sugar tax should be ditched entirely. Why is it that you think that? Well, it's still taking about £300 million a year from consumers, disproportionately consumers on low incomes. It has wrecked several high-profile drink brands, in my opinion, in the opinion of many, many people. It's not certain that they would put the sugar back into Iron Brew and Ribena and so on if the tax was gone, but it would be uh, maybe an encouraging position. So it's not working. It hasn't done anything it was supposed to do. It hasn't certainly reduced childhood obesity, which is the main aim, or indeed adult obesity. It's just led to less choice on the shelves from consumers and people having a bit less money to spend. Mm. I understand that there's some evidence that it even can do more harm than good in this sphere as well. Is that something you're aware of? Well, insofar as it takes money from people, which they can't then spend on something else, then yeah, that's a, that's a problem. The amount of money isn't enormous in the great scheme of things, but rather it was in 
people's back pockets and rather in, in the government's pocket. And, it, yeah, it, it depends on what you call an unintended consequence. For some people, the fact that they can't buy drinks that they've grown up with and have always enjoyed is, is a, a clear negative in their lives. What do you think of the argument, though, that it's better to do something than nothing? I mean, there's not any kind of huge disadvantages to the sugar tax, apart from the fact that, yeah, maybe it's costing people a little bit extra money. But I think from what I understand, a lot of brands aren't increasing their prices at all. They're just reformulating their recipes. What what do you think about that? Well, you know, some people like artificial sweeteners or at least don't mind them. And other people, including me, really don't like them at all. Some people don't trust them for that matter probably wrongly, but some people think they're unhealthy. It's not at all clear that people who consume artificial sweeteners lose weight any more than anybody else. For a start-off, Donald Trump famously tweeted that he'd never seen a thin person drinking Diet Coke. Uh, And there is an element of truth in that. I don't don't think it's a good basis for policy to say, well, it doesn't matter if it works or not. I mean, the, the very lowest bar a policy needs to pass is that it's evidence-based, in my opinion, particularly when you're dealing with health policy. And what do you think would be a sensible health policy financially instead of a sugar tax or as well as? What else would you think that would be a good idea? Well, in terms of fiscal levers, as it were, there aren't any that I can see. I know there are some people now who say, well, we've done this with sugary drinks, so let's do it with sugary products or salty products or fatty products and all the rest of it. You know, we had the evidence in 2016 when George Osborne announced the sugar tax that these things don't work because loads of U.S. states, most U.S. states have some form of tax on sugary drinks. Economists had looked at the evidence and they'd, they'd shown what we've now seen which is that it has a very, very marginal effect even on sales. And insofar as it has an effect on people's sugar consumption, they offset it. It does a, a substitution. People will tend to drink more fruit juice or milkshake or alcoholic drinks sometimes or just more sugary food products. And since the sugar tax has come in, we have seen an increase in the amount of sugar consumed in food. It may or may not be a coincidence, but the overall effect has been not even negligible. I mean, it's, it's been zero. It has had no positive effect whatsoever and extending this to a whole range of other foods which don't even work in the sense of the reformulation program can be seen to work because you can't just take out sugar and put artificial sweeteners into a chocolate bar or into a boiled sweet or something it's just it's basically impossible it's completely wrong-headed and i mean that's one reason why we should get rid of the sugar tax because then people can't kind of use this slippery slope argument of well we did it with sugary drinks From what I understand, though, Chris, we're sort of told that the best anti-obesity policies in terms of on a public health scale are things that don't require the consumer to do a lot of thinking about their behaviour. So that's the the kind of theory behind the sugar tax, isn't it? That you're still continuing to have the same behaviours, to buy the same products, but you're just consuming less sugar without really noticing. Do you not think that that's the way forward? But people do notice. That's that's the problem with the whole health by stealth agenda. People do notice and, and sales of iron brew dropped, the iron brew share price collapsed within a year or so of the sugar tax coming in because people weren't drinking it so much. And then iron brew had to come back out with this new special edition iron brew, which actually had more sugar in it than the one they just discontinued. LucasAid had to advertise like crazy to try and maintain their sales. And it, the same was true with the food reformulation. You know, the Public Health England food reformulation policy specifically aimed at 20% sugar reduction by 2020 failed catastrophically because firstly a lot of confectionery brands couldn't 
physically do the reformulation so they didn't bother. They just made the product a bit smaller at best. But the products that did reformulate, particularly breakfast cereals and yogurts, they did successfully take a, a, quite a lot of sugar out of their products, but people stopped buying them. <laughs> and, they, and people started buying more chocolate as it happened. And so the net effect was actually people ended up consuming more sugar than they had done before. It's a perfect example of government failure, the whole reformulation program. We have randomized control studies even showing that it, it, it doesn't work. So we have actually a lot of evidence that this stuff uh, it's not just an absence of evidence. We have evidence it doesn't work, and yet still people persevere with it. Do you think there's too much focus on sugar in general? Yeah, much too much. I mean, one thing we did know before the sugar tax was even announced was that sugar consumption per capita had been falling for a very long time. We ate far more sugar in the 1970s than we do today. We actually ate more sugar at the early part of the 20th century than we we do today. It's not something that correlates in any way with obesity. Obesity has ridden a hell of a lot since the 1970s. Sugar consumption has gone down. Now, I'm not suggesting that we should eat more sugar if we want to lose weight, but it, it, it doesn't even have that temporal relationship. It doesn't even have that statistical association over time. So it doesn't seem to be the real issue here. I think the real issue is a lack of exercise and just eating too much food generally for some, but not all people. Have you got any ideas about what the government should do in terms of public health and anti-obesity? Well, no, I'm, I mean, I'm always asked that because I'm always poo-pooing these these policies. And people say, well, what would you do? Well, what's worked? Show me show me some obesity policies that worked mm. anywhere in the world. It's not for one to trying. I just think mm. it's incredibly difficult if you're going to have anything like an affluent or a free society to dictate to people how much they exercise or how much they're going to eat. It can't be done. And one of the lessons from the whole food reformulation scheme is that you, know, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink or you can't make it eat you know, low sugar cocoa pops or whatever. People ultimately are sovereign. They do notice when their food is tampered with and they will change their shopping habits. Well, Chris Snowden, thank you so much for joining us. It's fascinating. A pleasure. I'm not entirely sure if Chris's comments about the reformulation scheme being a completely lost cause is correct because I seem to remember doing a few reports that showed that there have been some small successes in reducing the amount of sugar that people are consuming due to reformulations of products. It's also worth saying that although Chris is very vocal on this topic and um, was obviously a, an incredible speaker, we did approach lots and lots of doctors and that very few of them were willing to be so forthright in saying that they would like the sugar tax to be scrapped. Most doctors are quite cautious, may not be necessarily in support of it and may be doubtful as to whether it's done much, but they seem to think it's worth pursuing. Well, now we're going to speak to somebody who is definitely pro the sugar tax. Joining us now is Hattie Burt, who is Policy and Communications Officer for the Lobby Group Action on Sugar. Hattie, there's lots of debate about the effect that the sugar tax has had. You are obviously in support of it. Why do you think that it's a good thing to keep going with this tax? The sugary drinks levy is probably one of the most impactful public health measures we've had. It's reduced the sugar-weighted average sugar level in soft drinks by 46%. Sorry, what does that mean, the sugar-weighted sugar average? Oh, sorry, the sales-weighted average. So what that means is that 
it's not just sort of niche products that have got less sugar in them. It's those best-selling products that have got less sugar. Right. What that's translated into is a sort of average household's weekly sugar intake from soft drinks has fallen on average by 30 grams a week due to the sugar tax. So it's it's been really impactful in taking hundreds of thousands of tonnes of sugar out of, of soft drinks. Why is it, I mean, you're from Action on Sugar, so you can tell me this better than most people. Why is it that we are so focused on reducing sugar consumption in this country? Sure. Well, especially seeing as we're talking about this, the sugar tax, which is on soft drinks, the strongest evidence for the negative impact of sugar on health is for drinks, the sort of liquid forms of sugar that are very easy to sort of quickly consume large quantities of. So sugary drinks are linked to increased risk of obesity, type 2 diabetes, even cardiovascular disease, so things like stroke and heart disease. One that we probably all think of is tooth decay. So there's there's a strong link, obviously, between sugary drinks and tooth decay. And I have become aware of some research that has suggested that what has happened sometimes is that instead of having a a sugary drink, consumers go for something that maybe has more fat in it or more protein in it. And that way, you know, in terms of reducing obesity, it's not really making any difference. Okay, that's interesting. I'm not not sure what you're sort of referencing specifically, but some research looking at recently has shown that with the sugary drinks tax, you might expect people to compensate, you know, maybe with uh, sweets or alcohol. And they didn't find that alcohol or confectionery, which is like chocolate and sweets, didn't find that people had compensated in that way. In that case, they, were, they didn't find that people, you know, were having a diet drink and then compensating that by having, having chocolate or sweets. But we haven't seen any impact necessarily on, well, I, I don't know, I haven't come across any studies that have shown any impact on our obesity levels at all. Yeah, so there has been a study that came out very recently, which it wasn't a causal relationship. They were just looking at, it was like a cohort study of school children. And they found that possibly amongst things like year six girls, there have been some mitigated obesity cases but the thing is is that although the sugary drinks tax is probably the best public health measure we've had it still is always intended to be implemented with a whole range of other measures so things like restricting advertising of unhealthy food measures that you know the government has delayed and delayed and maybe they'll come in October but even though the sugary drinks tax has been effective at reducing sugar levels it was it's never going to be like the one solution it was needed alongside other public health policies and unfortunately we haven't seen most of those come in what do you think about the arguments that these companies are just replacing the sugar with sweeteners which potentially have a raft of uh, negative effects on our health yeah so we know sugar in drinks is really bad for us and we know it's linked to obesity, type 2 diabetes, heart disease, tooth decay. So we know that sugar is bad and that we should reduce sugar in drinks. And so what the food industry has done because of the sugar tax is reduce sugar in the drinks, which is great. As you say, they've then replaced it with artificial sweeteners. Obviously, any sweeteners that are used in the UK have been deemed safe to use. You know, they're not dangerous for us that's the sort of current evidence still we would like to see both sugar and sweetness reduced because you know when you just introduce artificial sweeteners you're not really changing but what do you put in instead well not all sweeteners are the same 
the most common artificial sweetener that is used in soft drinks, I think, is aspartame. It's a field that's changing a lot at the minute. I'm, I'm sure, you know, the food industry is investing a lot of money in sort of new innovative sweeteners. So I think we shouldn't kind of bunch all sweeteners together to say. So you, we can use sweeteners, but not all sweeteners. Not all sweeteners are the same is what you're saying. Yes, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying. So, you know, all, all sweeteners are better than sugar in the quantities that we're eating them. But I think there's hopefully, you know, over the coming years, there's going to be some more innovative sweeteners that, that maybe come onto the market that might be better solutions than the current sweeteners we're using at the minute. Things like allulose, even stevia. You know, I think there was a Coca-Cola with stevia. didn't quite hit the market in the right way, I don't think. But, you know, there's, there's more research and, and sort of investment that can be done there with different sweeteners. There is a taste problem, though, isn't it? Because, you know, sometimes it's a hot day. I mean, I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> and and all you want is a full sugar Coke. That's just all that's going to hit the spot. You yeah. don't have it every day, but you want to have it. What's wrong with that? No, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think, you know, I think you said in moderation or, you know, it's not something you have all the time. And the, the problem is kind of when we're constantly bombarded with adverts for this you know you walk into a supermarket and it's right in front of you and that sort of excess consumption but yeah I mean you know if a uh, full sugar coke is all that's going to hit the spot that on a hot day then go for it but what if you know say this is where the public health bit I think it's quite interesting because Coca-Cola was one of the few companies that didn't reduce sugar but what if they just reduced it, you know, just by like 1%? Obviously, it doesn't make any difference to us as the consumer. You're not going to notice that. But if you take that across, you know, the thousands, millions of people, they do, those small little things do add up to public health impact. So, you know, maybe Coca-Cola could do something for the, for the greater public good. I don't know. But they haven't added up to a beneficial health impact. I mean, that's the point. It's been, what, four years and, and we haven't really got anything apart from a reduction in tooth decay? So we've had a big reduction in the sugar that people have consumed from sugary drinks. And I think that is a big win. But we still aren't clear on what the health impact is. Well, the thing is, is that sugar is only one part of obesity. If you're talking about obesity, for example, we know it's a really complex condition and we've only implemented really like one of the main policies that was meant to help tackle it. It's almost not a surprise. It's a shame, but it's not a surprise that we're not seeing those impacts. But it's not a reason to stop the policy because what happens if we make the policy a bit better? You know, maybe we sort of slightly change the thresholds on the tax so it's more impactful. It's one of the few policies that has really had an impact. And, you know, I don't think the answer should be, OK, we'll scrap that, we'll go with something else. It's about trying to improve it and build on it and look at the evidence and what's happened and how can we add policies in there, like the advertising restrictions. Do you think that a soft drinks levy style tax should be applied to other foods and confectionery with um, high levels of sugar? Yeah, I think even the sugary drinks tax at the minute, it doesn't cover milk-based drinks so like you know, milkshakes stuff like that it could easily be extended to those kind of products and also alcohol you know if you buy a can of coke that's covered by the soft drinks tax but if you buy a can of rum and coke it's not covered so i think it could quite easily be extended to other drinks and yeah why not it's a model that sort of proved to work in reducing sugar so maybe, yeah maybe it could be expanded to other categories hmm. 
Well, Hattie, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Thank you so much for sparing some time. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Well, I've won um, not in favour of reformulating all of my favourite snack foods, especially Haribo Tang Fastics. Other sweets are also available. That's all we have time for on this week's Medical Mindfield. You can read about this and all the other latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday, which you can consume either in old-fashioned paper form or via the Mail app or by visiting mailplus.co.uk. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then.